We invite you to stay tuned for the program, Revelation Chronicles, featuring Dr. W.A. Dillard. Dr. Dillard expounds on the book of Revelation and other messages. Dr. Dillard is an author, writer, retired pastor, teacher, and theologian. He is also a past president of the American Baptist Association. Now here is Dr. Dillard. Hello once again, friends, as we continue to uh, look into the book of Revelation. We are now come to chapter 2, which is the beginning of the messages that Jesus had to give to John regarding the um, churches and uh, a lot of interesting information. As we begin uh, looking into this part of Revelation, I want to pause just long enough to uh, say that Revelation is told to us in four distinct and separate stories. There is the messages to the seven churches that we're about to undertake. And then we uh, will find at the conclusion of that, that there is the seven seals that we'll be looking at. And then following that will be seven trumpets. And following that, the seven vials of wrath. Now, we must understand, as I indicated earlier, that Revelation is not a narrative. And so these are not linked together like first this and then the other, first the, first the uh, seals, then the trumpets, and then even though they're presented that way, the scope of each of these is a story within themselves. Each of them lead to the revealed Christ in all of his glory. There are four stories. Remember the significance of numbers? Four is the number of creation. And so the story that reveals Christ to his creation, about his creation, is told in four different settings. So if we keep that in mind, uh, it will be helpful to us to uh, promote clarity and help us to uh, keep from getting confused about several things. Well, all right, so let's, uh, let's wade into Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. And uh, uh, talk about the church at Ephesus and uh, realize that um, these messages to these seven churches, uh, these are very literal churches that existed in Asia Minor, which uh, to us is uh, modern Turkey. These all were active churches in uh, latter apostolic times. There were also a lot of other churches around during that period of time. So why did uh, the Lord address these particular seven as maybe opposed to some other seven, or why did he not include others into the uh, messages? 
Well, those are questions that we ask ourselves and we do our best to make sense of it all. Seven is a number of divine spiritual completion. Again, that significance comes into play. And then it is sufficient for the commendations and the condemnations. It's sufficient for the problems they dealt with and the blessings they enjoyed that were going on in each of these seven churches for us to understand because these are the problems and the uh, accolades, if you please, the, uh, the kudos, the good things that may be spoken of the Lord's churches throughout the age. And so that's my explanation. That's my understanding of why they, there are seven churches and why those particular seven churches, because they are representative of churches throughout the age. Well, all right. So um, I will say that there are those who believe these seven churches indicate seven distinct and specific periods of time, but then we have difficulty assigning uh, time elements. And uh, uh, while I don't argue with anyone who believes that, uh, I do prefer seeing these seven churches as having problems and commendations that will be sufficient for the Lord's churches throughout the entire age. And we certainly need to pay particular and specific attention to each one as to how we may meet the difficulties in churches um, presently, churches of which we uh, hold membership and uh, um, the uh, blessings that are pronounced for those churches as well. And so we look at the uh, church at Ephesus, chapter two, verses one through seven. The meaning of uh, Ephesus, as far as we can determine, means something like boiling hot zealous. They were a zealous people. And uh, this church was a zealous church. Now the city itself was a provincial seat of government during the Roman Empire. Thus it was a place of decision and of action. The city was uh, famous worldwide for the goddess Artemis or Diana, as is called in the scriptures, and was the home of very much black magic that was practiced there. And so <clears throat> that's, the, uh, that's the setting of the uh, town in which this church uh, existed. Uh, I will say that I had the privilege of visiting the ruins of ancient Ephesus some years ago. And it is a marvel to behold uh, the ruins that are there. I went into the great amphitheater 
that would hold as many as 50,000 people still intact. And this is the one into which uh, a crowd rushed and uh, we're told about an Acts, I think 19, that where the uh, people shouted, great is Diana of the Ephesians in opposition to uh, what Paul was preaching because uh, the silversmiths had uh, created quite a stir. They felt like uh, Paul was a threat to uh, their craft. And simply because when people trusted the Lord and began to serve him, they had no use for those uh, little silver statues of Diana that they could stick on the dashboard of their chariots and place in various uh, positions in their homes. But anyway, uh, uh, Ephesus uh, still has evidence of great granaries and, uh, and there was a large uh, church plant that was established there. Not much remains of it, but the floor and the baptistry, which was made in the form of a cross, a deep well in the center of which uh, people were uh, baptized, deep water baptism. Um, there was a great stone at the uh, corner of what the main intersection that uh, had emblazoned in the ancient Greek language, the uh, pertinent specific laws of the city of which visitors and strangers as well as uh, citizens should be aware. That great street that ran from the center of the city down to the docks where the ships came in was still there. The Apostle Paul traveled that street many times. Uh, so <clears throat> it was a joy to see how uh, homes were somewhat air conditioned by having conduits running through the walls through which water would pass and cool the inside of the homes. Also, uh, they, were, they were an Epicurean society and we, uh, when we were visiting there, we discovered uh, what might be called vomitoriums. It was a place where when people ate all of the good food they could hold, they would excuse themselves and go to this place and tickle their tonsils, lose what they had eaten so they could come back and start all over again. Because to many of them, to eat and to drink was the purpose of life. There were brothels there that, that uh, uh, eventually brought much disease and troubles upon the city. But it was such an interesting place to visit but here was a great center, and the Apostle Paul labored for three years in this city, establishing the church to which this letter is written, his labor, and uh, his successes, uh, his difficulties are listed there in Acts chapter 19 and surrounding scriptures. The zeal of the people is demonstrated in their great riot to shout, great is the dying of the Ephesians for the space of two hours. And uh, the zeal that those people displayed certainly was not lost when many of them became Christians and they 
uh, brought their books of black magic and piled them in the streets and had great bonfires as they uh, divested themselves of sorcery and of black magic. So to this church, the first letter is penned. Christ represents himself to the church here as one holding the seven stars in his right hand. He represents himself as the one walking among those seven golden candlesticks, hence among the seven churches. God still walks among his churches. And Christ here represents himself as upholding the messengers are the pastors of those true New Testament churches, allowing the word and work of Christ to work through them and to be a conduit to the fellowship of the churches. Christ represents himself as walking among and blessing such churches as are obedient to him and the Ephesian church in particular, which had been established for God and uh, was uh, which was done by the church allowing Christ to work through them and uh, what had been lacking uh, to the Ephesian church was simply due to their unwillingness of the church to submit uh, more fully to Christ and to his word and so we notice that so let's look uh, in a little more detail here um, in verses two and three, uh, we have uh, the uh, pronouncement of uh, commendation to uh, the Ephesian church. Jesus says, I know your works. He knows mine and he knows yours. He knows the works of our churches today. I know your labor, he says. I know your patience. And whenever he says, I know these things, there's two great Greek words that are used uh, that are translated no in our English Bibles. One is gnosko, meaning that it's come across my mind, I've become acquainted with, or I have a, at least a passing knowledge of. The other is oida, and that term means I have a detailed and specific and ongoing awareness and knowledge in every detail of whatever's under consideration. And here, it was the works of the Ephesians church. It was the labor of the Ephesian church and the patience of the Ephesian, of the Ephesian church. And furthermore, it was their intolerance of evil ones. He said, I know of your successful trials of, of those who claim to be apostles and are not, and you've proven them to be false. He said, you have labored without fainting for Christ's sake. My, what powerful commendations. And I hope and pray that that commendation can be said of every church of the Lord Jesus Christ when we gather before him at the judgment seat of the Lord to receive the deeds done in the body and the reward of a godly life. Oh, how I 
Oh, I hope that's so. I do know that there are a lot of troubles in a lot of churches, and uh, we need to pray for the Lord's churches everywhere in these last days. Christ further identifies with the uh, Ephesian church uh, in verse 6. Noted, he said, um, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Please note, Jesus did not said he hated the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And the Ephesian church hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Well, you say, what are Nicolaitans? Well, Nicolaitans is a, uh, is a compound word. Nikos, the first part, means to conquer. And Laos, the second part, means people. So the conquering of the people are the conquering by the people, whichever way it may be. And uh, there are those who have more adamant positions on that than I do. But one of those is the truth. But there are those who believe it's a form of the ministry or the clergy, as Christendom calls it, conquering the congregations of the people uh, in the churches. Sometimes I have known about congregations conquering the ministry. And what I have to say to you is both ways it's wrong that both the minister and the congregation are to be submissive to the blessed word of God and the things that he teaches us to think and to believe and to step forth for others. Well, okay. So uh, uh, I even have heard uh, uh, the idea set forth that this was a group of people that emanated from Nicholas, one of the uh, first uh, deacons that are mentioned in Acts chapter 6. I don't know of any way of proving that or uh, it just doesn't sound uh, feasible to my mind. So anyway, many ancient writers have written about the uh, Nicolaitans as a sect of people, conquering people by negation of, of pastoral and biblical directions. And uh, so whenever ministry ignores and defies and defiles and rejects uh, doctrinal teachings of the Bible and substitutes humanism and uh, what they think is nice and good in its place, they are practicing Nicolaitanism. So what is the criticism that uh, Jesus has of the Nicolaitan church? He said, I have somewhat against thee. Notice it in verse four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. What? Because thou hast left thy first love. Ooh. What is that first love? It's not identified here specifically. And so you will hear uh, a variation of ideas about 
what Jesus meant when he made that statement? Well, first love, first love. Whenever you repent of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is your first love? What do you prefer first? Your first love is love for the God who saved your never dying soul. And your love is for that precious, sweet, non-contradictory food of the word of God and what it can do in transforming your life into a, an acceptable disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I do believe that that is exactly what the first love is. The warning of Jesus then comes into play in verse five. Remember, yes, how we need to remember. Don't push things out of your mind and forget it. Remember, things need to be repented of if they're wrong and things need to be rejoiced in if they're right. So remember, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. There we go, that's the answer. Do the first works. Jesus said, pray, read the Bible, study, witness, fellowship in the things of the Lord. Do those first things. You know, it's real easy for a church to get carried away in socialism. And when we incorporate situation ethics and we incorporate humanism into our thinking as church folks, hey, we're just about done. We've cooked our goose, so to speak. Come back to the Bible. Come back to thus saith the Lord. Do the first works. All right. <clears throat> so, remember the authority is our Lord. The Bible must be our final rule of faith and practice, not what we think, not our opinions, but what the Bible says. And here is the warning of Jesus to the Ephesian church. Warning you, repent, warning you to do the first work because why? You stand in imminent danger of losing your candlestick. Well, what does that mean? You stand in danger of being denied existence as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you would lose the blessings of being a New Testament church. It means you would lose the guidance of the Holy Spirit that was given on Pentecost to guide and to teach and direct and lead the church because you're paying no attention to the Spirit and he will not strive with men forever. So they could, and if they did not repent, would continue as a religious organization destined to drift further and further into apostasy, perhaps not even fully realizing that they were no longer a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a danger. 
So we need to heed the word of God and the admonitions of the Lord. Never let this message to the church at Ephesus slip away from us because it is applicable to every church. Yes, yours too. Now notice how wonderful. The great promise to the overcomer. Those who have an ear, that is the spiritual ability to hear and understand. Friend, do you have an ear? Do you have the spiritual ability to hear and to understand? Are you saved? Have you followed your Lord in scriptural baptism? Are you fellowshipping in a New Testament church that revers the word of God and claims to hold it as its final authority? Then hear, heed the Spirit's message. To the overcomer, good things. That will be given the privilege of eating from the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. Friends, that tree was in the Garden of Eden, and that tree shall be in the new Jerusalem that we'll get to uh, inhabit one day. That tree contains all of specific and certain virtues of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the overcomer will be in the place to enjoy that tree of life while the eternal eons roll on and on and on. Oh, what a marvelous thing. As we note that, we must understand that this promise is not universal. It is not to every saved person. There are a lot of people who can give you a bright testimony of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they have abandoned their faith. They have abandoned the church. They live like the world, and you would never know they were a Christian by how they live, by what they say, by what they do, by where they go but you would have every reason to believe they are not such. That's not an overcomer. But those who are saved and those who are baptized, those who are fellowshipping the church, that's the one to whom this message is given. And it's saying, if you hear me, if you heed what I have to say, if you abandon what you're doing that's wrong, if you will incorporate what I'm telling you is right, you will be an overcomer in life through this marvelous faith once delivered to the saints and obedience to the God of it. What a message. It's mine. It's yours. Pay attention, and thus we shall end our message to Ephesus and take up the next one in our next session. You have been listening to Revelation Chronicles, featuring the teaching ministry of Dr. W.A. Dillard. 
Dr. Liddard has written several books, articles, and outlines on the study of the book of Revelation and other studies. A copy may be obtained by emailing us at imbr at imbmpodcast.com. That's imbr at imbmpodcast.com. Or you may write to us at International Missionary Baptist Radio, Post Office Box 1676, Smyrna, Tennessee, 37167. That's International Missionary Baptist Radio, Post Office Box 1676, Smyrna, Tennessee, 37167. There is no charge for any of these materials. We would love to hear from you. Please tune in again at this same time for another Revelation Chronicles. And we pray that you will have a very blessed day. day.